right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. That. You don't got time to say. All right, let's go. Break it. Break it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Adam Drovetta on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Hey, what's happening? Welcome in to another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk here on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. With Adam Drovetta, I am Derek Johnson. RCST brought to you by T-Mobile. T-Mobile has amazing deals for everyone at any of the Lawrence locations. Don't choose between value or coverage. Get both with T-Mobile. Uh, so we're going to get into more KU basketball talk as you know shows go on and the days go on. And we're going to do more of those deep dives coming up. But the NFL draft is just a day away. Snuck right up on us. Yes, it did with the national title coverage. That's obviously been the main thing. We're going to have Josh Briscoe join the show in about 35 minutes from right now to talk Chiefs and the NFL draft and everything. We've also got three more editions of RCST trivia in the second round coming up in the four o'clock hour. And then uh, I'm, I'm excited for a couple other conversations we're having in the five o'clock hour. Kristen Knipp of the KU ultimate Frisbee club is going to be joining us for the uh, KU club interviews brought to you by Johnny's Tavern in North Lawrence. And then we're also going to have Micah Brown, who is the director for the blueprint, which is that four episode mini series coming out starting tomorrow for KU football and detailing Lance Leipold and spring ball and everything. So a uh, fun show coming up today, but again, with the NFL draft coming up tomorrow, seems pretty clear real quick. I just want to add uh, to make sure before we get to onto the topic of the NFL draft, because you talked um, Kristen Knipp, that conversation is coming up, but one of our other uh, clubs that we love to feature, um, if you go to the KU Rugby Twitter page, they do have information now about how they're going to be able to online stream. They either have it or they're very near getting information on how to stream their national championship match against Fresno State. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, be on the lookout for that. I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, So with the draft tomorrow... It seems clear to me there's three main positions that the Chiefs... Now, it doesn't mean you have to take this guy with your first pick or that you have to dress those three with your first three picks or whatever, but it's pretty clear there are three positions that the Chiefs certainly do need to address still headed into the season. Again, doesn't mean you do it all via the draft, but um, in some way that almost need to contribute right away, they need more at the pass rusher. I mean, that was the position that Brett Veach talked about headed into the offseason that they most needed to add to, that they most needed to overhaul, And so far, we're sitting here, and the only thing that's happened to the pass rush as far as personnel is it's just lost Melvin Ingram, who they could still bring back, and I think that's kind of the expectation that they will bring him back. I think it's pretty clear whatever Melvin Ingram's going to do, he doesn't want to deal with with off-season workouts and stuff. He he may not even sign with somebody until two weeks into training camp, which Melvin Ingram has kind of earned. Yeah, you're a veteran. Exactly. He's, He's earned that if he comes in, you know, in the first week of August, two, three weeks into training camp, you're not going to care much. No. So that's one of them. And maybe that's the biggest because of the fact it hasn't really been addressed. Corner, you lose Traverius Ward. Um, you haven't really invested a ton in that position in the past. So maybe this is one that you and can Juan put on Thornhill's the back Thornhill's come and do. Yeah, exactly. So maybe this is one that, you know, Steve Spagnola has just done such a good job with that you don't overly stress out about. Like, clearly you want to bring some more bodies and, and talented players in there. 
but maybe you don't necessarily have to invest like uh, a huge contract or, or trading for a guy or using a first round pick or something on it, but wouldn't hurt if you did. And then the other one is receiver, which I think that one's been like you could certainly lose or use a another star receiver, but also in the same light as corner. You still have Patrick Mahomes thrown to these guys. You still have Travis Kelsey. You still did bring in other like solid players with Juju Smith-Schuster and Marquez Valdez-Scantling, and you would hope that contract year, like this is a big year for McCole Hardman. So it's not like you have nothing there. So that one is probably less than pass rusher, but it's probably still more important than corner to add that guy in there, especially because Hardman will be a free agent after the year, and you don't want to end up in a situation where you have to pay him to bring him back. Um, but those are kind of the three spots that I look at that, again, it doesn't mean they're going to draft those guys one, two, three, but those are for sure what you would most like to address from here on with the draft and the rest of the offseason. I'm going to add, I agree with you, but I'm going to add a potential wild card mm -hmm. because I think there could be a, and this is more one thing that I, I'm, I'm, I'm planning out a possibility, not so much necessarily something I'm predicting, but I think they may be approaching a, a bit of a, what's the word, dispute with Orlando Brown. So mm -hmm. I'm going to add tackle to that mix because I think it's a very big possibility that they don't, that Orlando Brown wants more money than the Chiefs view he's worth. And they, I, I, that they, they kind of break, because right now, um, who's the guy that's been playing right tackle for him? Uh, um, Wiley. Yeah, and, and Wiley's one of those guys where you'd almost prefer him as like a sixth guy mm -hmm. on the line. That kind of rotates around. Exactly. And and so I wonder if, if they're if they might. I, I don't know this. But I, I for example, I, I went down I went um and of course trading up is always an option. I went and, and pro football focus, you can do a mock draft and it's a blast. It's if I'm not even a huge draft nerd, but if you are, you probably would get hooked on it. You know, you do your draft, you can trade up, you can trade down. You get a grade for it. It's a blast. Um, but a guy, I never traded up. Now, there is a kid. There's a kid from Alabama and maybe a, I think a kid from South Carolina. There are mm -hmm. a couple tackles out in this draft, but the Chiefs would have to trade. They'd basically have to yeah, give Evan up. Yeah, Evan Neal is, uh, you might be thinking of Mississippi State, Charles Cross. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, but those are guys that the Chiefs would have to give yeah, up. Yeah, they're like top 15. Yeah, top they would guys. have to give up 29 and 30 to go get, I, I believe. Um, but uh, a guy that fell, uh, just based on this, um, was uh, Bernard Rainman mm -hmm. uh, from Central Michigan. So if you want to have a guy who takes Wiley's spot um, as the starting right tackle, and then if Orlando Brown doesn't show you something, um, you know, because he, he, he still struggles against guys with, who, who are quick off the ball. And you saw what the rest of the division did in, in loading up on pass rushers. Um, so, I, I don't know. That's that's just a way they might look. But it, it isn't a need in the immediate because they have Orlando Brown. Yeah, but that um, would be similar to – we saw this very – like a lot with John Dorsey. We saw what Marcus Peters was taken yeah. to be kind of the replacement for – I don't even remember who the, the corner was, was at the well, time. Eric Fisher. Yeah, yeah. Eric with, Fisher was, yeah. was the first uh, Brandon pick Albert, that, that, right? that Reed and Dorsey ever made together, mm -hmm. and they they franchised Brandon Albert. Eric Fisher spent a year uh, at the right tackle, and then they moved. And Fisher, you know, Fisher was never an all-pro, but I would take, I mean, if Orlando Brown turns into Eric Fisher, I would take that immediately. Oh, yeah. Um, so if Eric Fisher was a fine left tackle. So I just think that's a, uh, keep an eye on that position. 
Um, the wide receiver that I took for anybody who cares that keeps seeming to fall to that 29 or 30 spot uh, for the Chiefs is uh, Sky Moore from Central Michigan. Um, you know, I, but I, I, I'm also a believer that wide receiver, how can I put this? I, I really think that the, the difference between uh, a, a, of, of whatever wide receiver you get and whatever wide receiver gets picked just ahead of him I don't think is going to be a huge difference. So I wouldn't um, – who's the kid from Alabama that's had injury troubles? Yeah, Jamison Williams. Jamison Williams. Mm-hmm. There's been talk about them trading up for him. I don't know. My thing is, is I think you're going to have to trade up 20 – you're going to have to lose 29 and 30 to get him. Well, I think it depends or, what the deal is there, right? Or – Because if, if that's the case, you don't want to do that. But what if everybody wants to trade down and the value goes down? That's and you have a good to give point. up 29 and a th- – a third and a fourth. You That's know? a good point. Yeah, because there's a run on people. Mm-hmm. More people want to trade down than trade up. My my kind of difficult scenario would have been more that he falls, that Williams falls to like 15, so you don't have to get up 29, give up 29 and 30. But the problem is, if a dude that good is falling to 15, then the entire league knows something about him. Right. Uh, and and I think what you brought up too with the taking a tackle, like I mean, you could even argue that. Well, you could take a tackle anyway, and like you said, with Andrew Wiley, make him the backup, and you just have him to even more fortify your line and, and put him at right tackle and still re-sign Orlando Brown. Or you could, what what you're saying, which is essentially draft the guy, then you don't have to pay a guy a bunch of money long term. You could always trade him and get more picks or whatever it is. Um, but it's the idea of, you know, we hear this all the time. If you play a drinking game with this tomorrow, then you're going to be feeling it the next morning yeah it's anytime they say best player available but um I, I think it is like a good strategy to fall through and and I think that um there is a bit of a worry for me in this draft where it, it is very clear like I said the Chiefs need more of a like they need another pass rusher the Chiefs could yeah. very much use another receiver the Chiefs could very much use a uh, another corner their stud, and so, their stud pass rusher right now has, has still has zero sacks in the post. Correct with Chris Jones, and so I just I hope that this doesn't become hey let's draft for a position of need as opposed to best player available. And so if to your point, if a left tackle or a right tackle or even a defensive tackle that you could do the same thing with Chris Jones is available, and that's the best player on your board at pick twenty nine or thirty or, or wherever your first pick is. Yeah, like just take that guy. And deal with the rest later because I think you start to run into an issue if you do start drafting off of just need as opposed to best player available because these picks are not supposed to be just plug and play. These are supposed to be up at the long term yeah. of your team. But I will say it could work out actually that because if you if you hear from most like draft analysts or draft pundits, a lot of them will tell you the strength of this draft is receiver. And the strength of this draft is pass rusher in terms of depth of those positions. Yeah. So it might actually work out that the Chiefs do pick, say, if they keep it 29 and 30, that they could keep those picks and you happen to check both boxes, if that makes sense. Yeah, and, and look, uh, Veach said that I think it's, he said they had, what, 18 to 20 or so players that they graded as having first-round mm-hmm. grades with the caveat that they did not scout any quarterbacks uh, for obvious reasons. They're not going to waste any time scouting quarterbacks for this draft. Um, so that doesn't mean that, you know, so if, if one of those guys is there and you're picking in the first round and a guy's there and you have a first-round grade on him, then then take him. Um, 
obviously, you know, not if he's a center or what, you know, that, well, you're not going to draft many centers in the first round, but you get the point. Right. You're not, you're not going to draft a quarterback. You're not going to draft a place where you're set positionally. Um, but, you know, I also think with the amount of teams that are trading back, I don't know how much compensation you can get for trading back, but a guy that I'm kind of eyeing that I, the problem is most people have a second round grade on him. And in general, I believe that if you, now, what other people think and what the Chiefs think may be different, but if you have a a, a second-round grade on a guy but he and he's there and you're like, well, we need that position, I think that's a very irresponsible and dangerous way to draft. Mm-hmm. Um, that Well, we need him even though it's the first round and we have a second-round grade on him. But a guy that I would eye that maybe you can fall back into like the 36 or 37 range and get another third-round pick in the process is Nick Benito. Uh, from Oklahoma, he's kind of hovering right now between about 30, by most people's grades, between like 30 and 40. Um, the dangerous thing is, if you do that, will he still be there? But then the the other dangerous thing is, if you've got a second-round grade on him, you don't want to take him at 30. Um, and, and, you know, unless you really think he could be some become something special and all of a sudden that, that fifth-year option becomes relevant. But... He's just an example of a guy that's that's really hanging around late first, early second, you know, material. Yeah, and uh, I think um, when a lot of people heard that, what you said there about, you know, Chiefs only having, whatever, 18 to 20 players with a first-round grade, yeah. I think a lot of people immediately are like, oh, well, that means the Chiefs are going to trade up because they're not picking yeah, in yeah, the top yeah. 20. I would just say this, that doesn't guarantee that happening. There's so many positions. It's not just quarterback that they didn't scout. No, exactly, exactly. Like, so if you have five quarterbacks, like, those get taken off the board. Um, Also, like, that is not all that different than what happens most years. Yeah. You know, you have guys who might have first-round grades elsewhere but get taken off the board because they're not scheme fits or because they have off-the-field stuff that you don't want to deal with. Like, so I don't really think that gives us an indication what they're going to do. I honestly think that, and I know this is just kind of like a nothing burger answer, but like, I think they're entertaining all possibilities. Yeah, I, I and think they they're should. Going to try to whatever's best value, right? Um, and 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 look, the other thing to add, not, it's not just positions that they didn't look at; it's that there are franchises that are dumb enough um, to, you know, that are just poorly run, and the Chiefs will have a guy drafted, you know, graded as a second round. Or, you know, a good organization will have a guy graded as the second or third round, but then a, a lesser, you know, a run, or maybe maybe not a worse organization, but just an organization that disagrees with the Chiefs will have a dude graded in the first round. And they'll take him, and that bumps some of those 18 picks back. Um, an, an example is the, the guy that everybody thinks Jacksonville is going to take is will wind up getting their GM fired, like, the night of the draft. Uh, because every... Um, the owner wants no part of him, and everybody's convinced that that's who the GM's going to take. Uh, his name is, is it Reed? Um, he's the guy that the is now the betting the adds on betting favorite to go. Oh, one Trayvon Walker. Walker. I knew he had a normal mm. uh, normal <laughs> last name. Um, but anyway, there were a lot of reports that Shad Khan wants no part of him, but that the GM is set that he's going to take him. That's so, always good. Yeah, that's a good way yeah, to start your struggle. career. Yeah. Um, but anyway. So yeah, they they could uh, they could trade up. I am a believer that if you trade up, you have to get it dead right. 
Like they have to be really, really good. Oh yeah, like uh, like the they Falcons. Have to be great. I remember they mortgaged a lot for Julio Jones, and it worked. but they hit it they, yeah. and they went to a Super Bowl and stuff. Now, you know, you would have liked to win a Super Bowl and and whatever, but you hit it. Now, like if you can't, in my mind, and it's one thing if you swing and miss on a quarterback because we get it, we get yeah. this inherent risk there, and like but you're, you're making a risky play on something that you have to have. In in my mind, if they if they trade up. Uh, depending on what they give, if they trade up from like twenty nine to twenty three, that's a little different. But if they trade up high and and pick a wide receiver that turns out to be as good as Tyreek Hill, I'm not even sure. Like the reason I'm not sure that's good enough is because when you look at a value from a value standpoint, there are a lot of receivers you could get that are great in the second or third round. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, I think that makes sense. All right, we're going to take a time out here when we come back. A uh, little KU news, and actually I'll just get to the KU news now before we go to break. Uh, Baylor Shireman, who is you know seen as one of the, I don't know, top five transfers in the portal right now. He was the Summit League Player of the Year on that really good South Dakota State team that uh, lost in the first round of the tournament. He was the Conference Player of the Year. Really good shooter, um, shot over 40% from three, averaged like four assists, over five rebounds a game in addition to the 16, 17 points a game. He's like a 6'5", 6'6", kind of wing ball handler type. He has narrowed his list of transfer options to 10. Kansas is on the list of the 10. I don't know if Kansas will get this kid, but I've got to think they have a good shot here. And um, I think it's something where, you know, it would make a lot of sense. KU could be losing a lot on the wing. Never hurts to have more shooting. I mean, you look. I mean, Jalen Coleman Lands, we all talked, was like a guy that, that you they brought in that you, they thought, you know, Ochai was going to be gone, and so there's no real knowing, no, no real way of knowing how good and productive Jalen Coleman Lands could have been if Ochai stayed in the draft last year, mm-hmm. and that could be one of those things where if um, if Christian Brown stays in the draft, this dude could come in and actually be a producer. Yeah. All right. He's Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson. We'll get to our daily poll coming up next. Josh Briscoe of Almost entirely sports on 810. Times ours on The Athletic. SI now will join us at 340. More RCST trivia in the 4 o'clock hour. Then Micah Brown will join us at the top of the 5 o'clock hour. And then our KU Club interviews brought to you by Johnny's Tavern in North Lawrence at about 525. This is Rock Truck Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depending on it. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com. And we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. About 20 till 4 here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. NFL draft tomorrow with the Chiefs picking 29th and 30th. Or will they? I guess we'll get to the bottom of it. Josh Briscoe knows all of almost entirely sports on 810. Arrowhead report on SI Now. Time's ours on The Athletic, and you can follow him on Twitter at JB Briscoe. Uh, so, Josh, the Chiefs have 12 picks in the NFL draft. Obviously, a lot of those aren't really, I guess, what you'd call real picks with uh, a lot of seventh-rounders in there. But uh, of those 12, h- how many do you expect the Chiefs to actually use? And what would be the number that you know you think they should use? Like, is, is, there, a, is there a limit to it? No, not really. I mean, you touched on for me what, what has sort of been the drum that I've been banging over these last uh, couple of weeks, especially. <clears throat> Excuse me, I get so worked up to talk about these <laughs> picks. So they've got twelve picks, but that's two in each of the four, for, uh, the first four rounds, and then four seventh round picks. 
So, I, look, I don't know how many of those seventh-rounders they're going to use. They sign a bunch of undrafted free agents every year. So even if they do have all those picks in the seventh, those can just be jumping the line in the undrafted free agent process, if you'd like to think of it that way. That's just fine with me. Of those eight in the first four rounds, though, I would be thrilled if they took eight players over that the, the, the course of all of that. Um, I think that if they're going to take eight, though, it would probably be because they're trading up at one point, maybe able to trade back in another and, and do some sort of board manipulation. I would say the Chiefs are most likely, if I had to give you a number, I'd say they, they fire off six picks in the first four rounds, would be my guess right now. Seven would make sense to me, and then the seventh round is just sort of a crapshoot. Um, as far as the first round goes with picks 29 and 30, are you on team trade up, stay put, or trade down? So, again, I, I, I'm kind of buying into this idea over these last couple of days. If they have a way to move up from 29 and then back from 30, that might actually be my ideal scenario, maybe around 30. Some teams are looking to trade up to get a fifth-year option on one of those quarterbacks that maybe drops the Chiefs back to the around 40 or so. Brett Veach on Friday, he talked about having 16 to 18 first-round grades, but also really liking the 30 to 60 range. The funny thing there is that the Chiefs' two picks right now are kind of in the no-man's land there. At 30, or at 29 certainly, those two picks, you're not getting great value if your favorite ranges are top 20 and then 30 through 60. So my, my hunch right now is that at least once, the Chiefs are going to move up from 29 or 30, uh, hopefully not at the cost of the other first rounder. That would be disappointing to me. I think they really need to make two two selections in that top forty or so. But I, I think they probably move up from one of those spots. They they lose a, a third rounder to, to to jump up and do that, and then either just stand pat there at thirty, or or maybe they're open for business if there's a quarterback that someone wants to come and get. But yeah, I I would say if I had to put money on it right now, I would bet you that that the Chiefs do not pick there with the twenty and thirtieth twenty and thirtieth picks. And if I had to bet the over-under, I'd say they pick before 29. I would actually make the argument that that 30th pick loses even more value on the possibility of a team trading up to grab a quarterback because you've got two teams right behind you that they could trade up for cheaper who also don't need quarterbacks. So the best-case scenario for the Chiefs is that somebody makes the trade with Los Angeles then somebody jumps in front of that trade to make the uh, trade with Cincinnati and then a third team needs to jump in front of that team to get that quarterback. So that you're in a really rough spot because the two teams behind you also don't need quarterbacks. So they'd be open for business there too. Well, Detroit, I mean, I think Detroit would be a threat to actually take one of those, depending on what they do throughout the, the first round up until that point. Um, since he at 31, definitely, like, yeah, they could absolutely still be open for business. I think the game there is just trying to convince somebody else that they uh, that, that they are going to you know get outbid or whatever, and, and maybe Cincinnati at thirty one really likes somebody opposite them. But I, I would think that the sort of jostling around there, yeah, I mean it's a huge crapshoot. I, I would say that trading back is never something to bet on because it very much does demand that someone's willing to pay a premium to get up to a certain spot. Uh, I, I think that the other side thing, seeing the Chiefs move from. 29 up to, you know, maybe it's 21 or something where the, the Patriots are picking. I think that's a little easier to project. But even that also, like, who knows, depending on what the board looks like by that time. Yeah, it, it is all very difficult to project more than 10 minutes in advance. And even then, I don't know that we'd be able to project it that well. Is it worrisome at all that given the holes at corner, pass rush, and receiver that the Chiefs might be in a position this year where they're kind of drafting off of 
need as opposed to maybe best player available? Or do you think it's actually just going to line up okay that both of those things are going to kind of eclipse each other and they could draft for need and still get the best player available? A little bit of both for sure. I mean, that's the price they pay for the offseason they had, right? Like, yeah, they, they didn't pay Charverius Ward. I understand why, but now you're missing a number one corner. They move on from Tyreek Hill. You get all these picks, but you're missing a number one wide receiver. Uh, you just got it wrong with Frank Clark and Breland Speaks and some of the other defensive investments at this point. So your edge rusher spot is in bad shape. Like, that's just sort of, you know, well, 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 the consequences of my actions. You know, that's just sort of where the Chiefs are at in terms of need right now. Uh, and I think they're pretty comfortable with that because – Overall, the receiver class, while it looks like they might still need to move up to get one of those guys they might like the most, um, I, I am pretty comfortable with how deep that class gets. I do think that it's too bad the Chiefs are picking one spot behind Green Bay and not one spot in front of them, but we'll see if they can afford to wait that out. Yeah, I think it's clearly those three picks, though. I mean, those three positions. It, once you start getting out of that range, sure, there are other spots they can invest. But the other element of that is that those three positions aren't just the things they need most for 2022. It's also the things they need most for 2023, 4, and 5. Like, not only is there not a number one edge on this team, it's not like that's an issue of missing a veteran and having somebody else in the chamber ready to go. Or saying, oh, we want to invest long-term in a corner, but he wouldn't be able to start day one. No, he definitely would, whoever that might be. So I do think that the short-term and long-term needs are kind of coinciding in a way that also goes with the draft class. It seems pretty good at edge and receiver around this spot uh, around the that that sort of second pocket that Beach has talked about but it, it's still a very difficult needle to thread because you feel a lot better if you didn't have to like absolutely no question draft an edge early in this draft well I want to go through a couple scenarios with you and I don't know if, if you want to like highlight a guy or two that, that might make sense there so the first scenario if the Chiefs do trade up into that I guess like early to mid-teens range is there a player or players that you think would be ideal in targeting at uh, that specific spot and situation? Yeah, I mean, I think like everyone at this point is probably staring eyes wide open at Jamison Williams and Drake London and uh, a bunch of uh, Chris Olave. Like, probably those three guys might make the most sense. I think I just told you what Seth Kaiser's top three were there by accident. I'm not <laughs> staring at his list, though, I promise. He's just gotten that deep into my brain. Uh, but I think if you wanted to say, hey, the Chiefs have one of these guys with a bullet at receiver, that would make some sense. But honestly, it's probably not what I would do, certainly that high up, because like, I like George Pickens. And if he's there around 24 or 25 or, God forbid, past the Packers to 29, I would rather stand tight and, and take my, my multiple shots, and then you try to get Sky Moore later, whoever it may be. Um, at edge, I think it would make a ton of sense. I don't think that they would move up for probably anyone other then, then I think Jermaine Johnson is the one guy in that little pocket that might make some sense. George Karloftis is, is a very logical spot as well, but probably not having to go that high to go get would be my guess. Um, I, I'm, I'm kind of talking myself into the, the David Ojabo sweepstakes. He's the Michigan end who, um, who tore his Achilles at his pro day. Obviously, the Chiefs do need edges now, as I mentioned just a second ago. But as a long-term investment, like that is a level of, of talent you're not usually going to get back there at, at 29 or 30. But ultimately, if they move up a lot, I think it's because they've fallen in love with one of those receivers, or more likely, they're trying to get the last guy they really like in that in that top tier of edge rushers. And I think that's the more likely position that they would be trading up for because the pool is definitely a little more shallow at edge. If a guy like Kayvon Thibodeau, who um, seems to be slowly dropping, if he were to have a slide to, I don't know, seven, eight, nine in the draft, do you think 
there would be calls from the Chiefs? I don't think they're going to be able to get that high without it being really cost prohibitive. I think I think if Thibodeau did fall that like into a, a jumpable range, I think that would be a huge win for the Chiefs. I don't think they're going to be able to, to get that high. And frankly, like I just don't think he's going to continue to fall that far. I think you're going to see edges be be flying off the board, not just the, the first handful of picks, but really kind of the whole way through. Um, I would be I'd be happy if he's there at twelve to maybe try to talk try to talk myself into that. But I, I don't. I'd be really surprised if the Chiefs were up, able to get into single digits. Okay, uh, scenario two is if they just stay put and, you know, you're in that 29-30 range. I know you mentioned David Ojabo and maybe sticking around there for one of those other receivers who is kind of in that range. Uh, what names outside of those guys do you think make the most sense if they do stand pat? So I, I just published the, the first-round mock draft that me and the other Fan Nation Sports Illustrated site uh, publishers all did. And so by the time it got to 29 and 30, all the receivers were gone. It was six receivers in the top, like, 15 or something nonsense. It was six in the first 18 picks, and then George Pickens went right before me, which is the Packers, at, at 28. So in that spot, I went with Ojabo because of the logic I just laid out, I think, you're never going to get that kind of talent at 29 without there being something to sort of fight through. And then if you're just there looking around at everybody else, this cornerback class is pretty good. In this case, partially because all those receivers went, Andrew Booth out of Clemson was still there. He has a, a crazy high ceiling. He, he would be a tremendous pick. I do think the Chiefs would actually consider drafting a corner if they thought there was value to be had there. I think Booth would be one of those guys. I ultimately would say that, again, I, I think the best-case scenario is that it's Pickens a Jabo or, or I don't know Seth also kind of talked me into John Necci a little bit uh, so I, I could I could be uh, certainly convinced there as well but it, it's funny because as you see those scales sort of falter you you can try to get yourself to a, a thirty player big board and, and you know go man there's there's some pros and cons here but the, the good news is that there's always going to be two of those guys there at twenty nine and thirty it's just that there there does seem to be a drop off you know somewhere around that, whatever it might be, 15 to 20 range, depending on how much you want to be generous with those grades. Um, ultimately, though, there are going to be receiver names that we've all gotten very familiar with over this last month. Somebody's going to be there, but if it's on the other side of, of kind of that pickings cutoff, I don't love it as much. If it's edges, theoretically, a drabo has to be there. If you get lucky and you get some super talented corner that makes it to 30, the, the the scales are all going to offset at least a little bit because there's only so many spots, right? So I think if you're a Chiefs fan right now, like you ought to root for every quarterback to be drafted, every offensive lineman to be drafted, just root for other positions to go. But eventually, they're, they're probably going to get kind of jobbed at one group. There's going to be a run somewhere. And, and then you, you just have to sort of cross your fingers at that point and hope that one of the guys you like slides that far. Yeah, and there's a part of me that just, you know, it, it, the heart part of you where it's like, oh, what's more fun to watch is, well, just, you know, load up on offense and load up on the receiver. But the the mind part of me is like, yeah, why don't you just, you know, add to the defense? And we've seen so many good receivers go in the second and third round that, I don't know, maybe that makes sense. But um, as we look at like day two and day three of the draft with what the Chiefs have, any names that, that maybe make sense there that you're kind of standing for? as being guys that you think would make a lot of sense for the Chiefs. Yeah, 100%. Now, it's kind of funny because some of these names I'm going to give you from, like, the edges, like 
could Nick Bonito go a lot higher or Drake Jackson go a lot higher or, or Boye Mafe go a lot higher. Arnold Epichetti is going to go in the first round, I think. Uh, but, but a bunch of those guys, those are defensive ends who are kind of in that late first conversation. I'm giving you a lot of names, though. They're not all going to go in the first or, or early second. There are going to be a number of those guys that could be there to potentially supplement in a Jabo pick if you do go that route. Or if the board falls away, you go corner and receiver out of the gate. Those guys are going to be – one of those guys is going to be around within it. Certainly striking distance in day two, um, if not falling all the way down there. I think the receiver group, though, is, is even more interesting. To your point, um, we've seen great receivers go later. I also think we're seeing the league begin to value receivers differently. And also, like, just through the draft process, and we're also still seeing incredible receivers come out of college at every level, in every round. Like, there's always somebody. But if if Sky Moore or Christian Watson scare off some people, being smaller school guys that um, you know maybe haven't proven their their metal in terms of their competition levels, then one of them in the second round would be great. Uh, maybe maybe somebody's not as high on. John Dotson, uh, you, you start taking those shots later on and everything goes down a little more smoothly because all of a sudden you've talked yourself into that guy instead of it being at 29 or 30 being somewhere in that second round. See, I, I think that the edge and receiver groups, again, can just continue to burrow down on those going into day two. There are going to be names left. They go, boy, you know, not only not only should the Chiefs maybe have considered trading back to, to hang out in this group, maybe they're going to try to move up and get a pick off in the first 10 picks or so of day two because they've got the ammunition to do that. And somebody, Christian Watson or Boyanase, like someone's going to be on the board early there. You go, man, well, as long as the Chiefs can grab them, all of a sudden I'm not quite so worried. All right, we're talking with Josh Briscoe here. Um, are you ready for another edition of Good Idea, Bad Idea? I love this game. You know this is why I come on this show. All right, number one, trading for Robert Quinn. It's a fine idea. It's obviously all about the cost. Um, at this point, this pass rush is a terror, but not not for offenses. It is a terror for Chiefs fans because no one <laughs> else is there right now. Uh, I, I, you hear me with hesitation, though, where it, it might actually be a good idea but I think it's sort of been at the result of a very questionable process. It obviously hugely hinges on, on what that draft capital would be. Okay, trading down with one of the firsts and with an early second-round pick, drafting N'Kobe Dean if he falls as they view him as the best player available, even though it would be another second-round pick on a linebacker. It's a bad idea, Derek. I just can't. I, just, I get it, man. I, you could talk me into Kobe Dean in a lot of other times on a lot of different occasions for a lot of different teams. He, he seems like someone who has never in his entire collegiate career not been in the right spot. Like whatever, whatever quarter, whatever uh, linebacking uh, brain chip that he has in that makes him so good at that is truly impressive. Also, you know, playing in that defense doesn't hurt. But they just can't, man. They just can't. Like you, in this in this league, you're going to have three and four corners on the field frequently. You're going to have five, always four, often five, sometimes six defensive backs out there. They made their bed with Willie Gay and Nick Bolton. Maybe that's a little different if Nick Bolton has a really terrible rookie season, or if Willie Gay never really shows a spark. But at this point, they can't spend a third, second round <laughs> pick in three years on a linebacker. I can't do it. It's not Nicobe Dean's fault. It's the position. I'm excited. For that to happen, and the, I hope the uh, I hope it's it's like uh, the Clyde edwards alaire pick all over again. Uh, yeah, uh, when they do this, just have, just please send me the audio <laughs> yeah. so I can play it back. 
<laughs> Will do. Uh, all right, uh, number three. Uh, and I know your answer to if I asked you about taking a running back in the first round would be, let's go one step further. Good idea, bad idea. Taking a running back in the top two rounds. A horrible idea. A, an infuriating <laughs> idea. Uh, the worst idea that I would rather than draft Nicobe Dean, because at least he would actually <laughs> contribute something occasionally. Here's the thing. It, it's not that there aren't running backs you can talk about there. It, it, it's threefold, though. One, the overall value of an individual running back is very hard to, to project or to actually see anything that really separates them from the, the rest of the pack, unless they're literally Derrick Henry. Mm. Two, they've obviously invested that position already. Also, kind of a weird logjam with, with Clyde Edward Lair and Ronald Jones. Ronald Jones is a first and second down back. But Clyde Edwards Lair has been a first and second down back with this team already. If they're going to add somebody, it would be to be a third down pass catcher, pass blocker extraordinaire, which would be great, except for that should be Clyde, and it's not going to be Ronald Jones. I'm not sure what the strategy is at that spot. The other thing is Brett Beach said on Friday that he's been uh, talking about this in the evaluation, that, that he thinks there's going to be an undrafted running back that's a 1,000-yard rusher at some point out of this class because it's just so deep. There's some guys who stuck around because of the extra COVID year. It's also just a really talented position. Running backs are incredible in college and the NFL. It is a tremendously difficult and extraordinary position. These guys do a great job playing it. The issue is the difference in production from the 32nd overall pick to a second-round pick to a guy that might be completely undrafted. The the difference that you'll see in production is going to be largely based on usage and and not actually um, one one elite player at that that level actually being terribly instructive of what their future is going to look like. He is Josh Briscoe. Josh, before we let you go, one last thing with Adam. All right, Josh, one last thing. What was the last thing you purchased with exact change? With physical change? Yeah, yeah, just like, yeah, exact change. Like, it, it could have been like a dollar twenty-five, and you used a dollar bill and a quarter, but you made, you had, you made, you hit the target exactly. That's a great question. <laughs> so the last thing, last time I bought something in cash would have been maybe at like a, uh, like a pre-COVID, like, um, uh, merch table or something. Uh, I think post COVID, I've gone to a couple of concerts where they had chip readers. Uh, I think I paid for one of my tattoos in cash several years ago. <laughs> I've, only, I've, I've only I've only paid for my tattoos in cash. <laughs> I think I think I've, I, I'm not sure that I have handled change on a regular basis since I was a, a cashier at Chick Fil A and <laughs> at age 13. That was probably only about 16, maybe felt like 13. It's been a long time. Well, here's Josh Briscoe, almost entirely sports, Arrowhead Report, Times Hours, and at JB Briscoe on Twitter. Josh, appreciate the time, man. I literally have a bag of coins like right here. I can just <laughs> give them to you if you want, Adam. I've had these for years. I don't know what to do with them. I'll Thanks, take guys. them. Free money. <laughs> We're on 6th Street in Lawrence. Come yeah. see us. <laughs> drop it off. <laughs> Thanks, Josh. Well, dude. See you guys. Appreciate it. All right, that's Josh Briscoe. This is RCST. RCST Trivia next. Another day, another round of RCST Trivia here in round two. Once again, trivia brought to you by 23rd Street Brewery, Kurt Geezer State Farm, McDonald's of Lawrence, Homefield Apparel, Pella Windows, CBD of Lawrence, RockChalk.io, Jayhawk Trophy, and Hawaiian Bros, your title sponsor at 23rd Street Brewery, where you get dine-in, carry-out, and catering all available from the outdoor patio to enjoy the warm weather. You can try the Bill Self Mac and Cheese, the Haney Turkey Stack, or any of the great menu items. And don't forget about 23rd Street Brewery's beer, which you can get to go as well with their Crowlers. We have a 2-10 matchup to start things off today. Three matchups today for RCST Trivia. 
And this first one features two-seed and longtime RCST trivia veteran Andrew Filer and the 10-seed Blake Farrell. Uh, Blake, we'll start with you. You won your first-ever appearance in RCST trivia. took you three questions to get it done. Um, any reflections on that first appearance? It was good to get the first one out of the way and hopefully take a little pressure off, but I'm still feeling it anyway, so we'll see what happens. <laughs> uh, is there an external source of pressure that's providing that to you, or is it just all from yourself? Well, I think my son wants me to go as far as possible, so there's that pressure, but other than that, that's about it. Well, Andrew, you were pushed to the limit in the first round. There were a couple times where you might have thought that you were going home empty-handed at that point, but you come through, win in the end, and, you know, it is the old cliche, survive in advance. doesn't matter now what you did last time. You're here. You're at this point in time. But um, did, did getting scared like that in the first round, did that affect your preparation getting ready for this round two matchup, or are you still kind of uh, scrambling a bit? No, it, it did. I, we, Kyle and I worked a little bit together, studied a little bit harder on some stuff. I mean, I took a little more time than I did the previous week. I knew Kristen was going to come out guns a blazing. I, I got pretty lucky. I mean, I got lucky against her. I did so, but I'm hopefully more prepared than I was last time. So, well, you said, you said you're studying with Kyle. So he has let you back into the study group then. He did. He let me back in. But I mean, this is, you know, if I can take care of business today and, and he can take care of it, then your your dream <laughs> soap opera can continue next week. You know, we'll see what happens. Like, so. Yep. We uh, definitely doctored the bracket that way. All right. Well, uh, <laughs> let's see if we can even get in there as we get into the matchup for this one between the two seed Andrew Filer and the 10 seed Blake Farrell. Blake, you are the lower seed here, so you have the option. Would you rather go first or go second? I'll go first. All right. You're up first, Andrew. You're up second. We start in the easy round here in round two. For you, Blake, who scored 31 points and grabbed 18 rebounds for Kansas to help the team win the 1988 National Championship game? Danny Manning. Yep, Danny. Absolute beast. 31 and 18. Okay, Andrew. Who scored the last two baskets on hook shots for KU in their 2022 National Championship game? David McCormick. Yep, Big Dave. A lot of people thought he should have won Final Four MOP just like Danny did. Though 15 and 10 or 15 and 11, a little different than 31 and 18. Okay, on to you once again, Blake, into the medium round of questions. Who did Kansas lose to in the 1991 National Championship game? That would be Duke. Yes, it was. The Duke Blue Devils. That, I believe, was Coach K's first title. They beat UNLV the round before. All right, for you, Andrew, who did Kansas beat in the Final Four in 1991 to get to that title game before losing to Duke? Uh, I think it was North Carolina. That's your final answer? Yeah, North Carolina. That's correct. North Carolina was the answer. They beat Hubert Davis in the Final Four and went around and beat him in the title game this year. Okay, we're going to scoot on up to the hard round of questions. Back to you, Blake, as we pick up the mood and get a little bit more intense music in here. Blake, despite making the title game in 1957, Kansas was sent to overtime in their first round game with who before winning 73 to 65. 
San Francisco. Not a bad one. I think San Francisco was maybe the final four game. I know they played San Francisco at some point in one of those 50s tournaments. The correct answer is SMU. It was SMU that pushed them to overtime in the first round, but they ended up winning. Then they went on to the title game before losing to North Carolina in triple overtime. Okay, on to you, Andrew. In the 1974 NCAA tournament, Kansas played in a now-extinct third-place game and lost to who? They did this in 1971, too. I looked at both of these, and now I'm just completely... Ten seconds. Uh, UCLA. That is correct. Wow. Andrew, um, I feel like that was just kind of a, I hope this is right. Let's throw it at the wall and see what happens. That was the uh, Jordan pool shot against Houston in whatever second round, 2018, something like that, where, you know, you had a chance, you threw one up, and uh, you hope that it went in, and it did. Uh, yeah. What was kind of your thought process there? I I was thinking in 71 they were pl- – I thought they played UCLA in 71 for some reason, and I couldn't think of who 74 was, but I guess I was backwards on it. So, geez, Louise, I, wow, that's lucky. Wow. Well, interestingly enough, in 1971, Kansas lost in the Final Four to UCLA. Um, then they lost in the oh. third-place game three years later. Um, so for you, Blake, that is, that's an unfortunate end. I, I've said this a couple times when it's happened, uh, when your opponent just hits one on, on a crazy make like that, that, that almost has to make it feel even more difficult to get by. Um, would you have known the answer to Andrew's question there? I would have had no idea. <laughs> so, so good for him to, to get it right and hopefully I can come back next year more prepared. Yeah, we, we plan to have you back. I think you, uh, you know, anytime, uh, a lot of times the RCST veterans end up going a little bit further. So anytime you can get a victory under your belt in your first year in RCST trivia, now you know what to expect next year. I think that's a good showing for you in uh, year one. And like I said, we look forward to having you back next year. Andrew, congratulations on moving on and scathing by there for the victory. Yeah. Do you have any words for Kyle Martin before his second round matchup? I get the job done buddy we'll see uh we'll see you monday or tuesday next week because he told me he can only do monday and tuesday next week so I, i'll see you next week my friend <laughs> okay well we'll see if that ends up being the matchup of course uh steve klein could throw a wrench in the whole thing blake appreciate you joining trivia again we'll see you back next year andrew we'll see you next week well, sounds good thanks blake good thank game, you so man. much best of luck so first matchup in the books here of rcst trivia and once again everybody who has already made it to the second round, gets a $25 gift card to 23rd Street Brewery and an RCST Trivia t-shirt. If you win again today, which Andrew just did, you move on to the Sizzling 16. And for making the Sizzling 16, you get a $25 gift card to 23rd Street Brewery. That's not a repeat, not a broken record. You get another one because every round you advance, you get another $25 gift card to 23rd Street Brewery from the Bill Self Mac and Cheese to a Crimson Fog or Wave the Wheat to wash it down. You get a $10 gift card to Hawaiian Bros. That thanks to Kurt Geeser State Farm. So you can you know try whatever you like. The 
pulled pork, the Huli Huli chicken. Max salad's great there. Thanks to Kurt Geeser State Farm, who can help you out with any insurance needs or financial advice. Give Kurt and his team a call or email today and see what he can do for you. A $20 gift card to CBD of Lawrence, your pharmacist-owned and operated CBD shop located at 4821 West 6th Street next to Big Biscuit. They have free shipping and a perks program featuring lots of new hemp-derived cannabinoid products as well as Delta 8 or 9. And you're also going to get a voucher for two separate vouchers, one for just a regular sandwich at McDonald's. So, you know, scarf down that Big Mac or double quarter pounder, whatever you like. Uh, Also a free breakfast sandwich, right? You know, free sausage McMuffin or again, whatever you like there. For McDonald's in Lawrence, Topeka, Atchison, Bonner Springs, Shawnee Mission Park, Wayne Hilltop, Shawnee and Leavenworth. When life gets busy, make life happen. Download and order with the McDonald's app to link payment, save time and earn free food right from your phone. This is RCST Trivia on Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN, as well as KLWN.com or listen in in the future on the Best of RCST podcast. We'll be back for our second matchup of the day. We've got Tyler taking on Drew in a 1-9 matchup. Then our final matchup will be a 2-7 between Ryan and Tucker. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the Best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com, and we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. Second RCST trivia round two matchup of the day featuring our one seed in Tyler Feist and our nine seed in Drew Jarrett here. And as we get ready for this matchup, well, uh, both of you guys making your way here for Drew. It was a long first matchup for you. It took eight questions deep to advance on to round two. So are, have you have you rested enough? Have you gotten enough sleep since that matchup to be back to this one? Oh, you know, I, I tried to. But as I mentioned last week, I've got a, a toddler, little boy running around. So um, sleep, uh, uh, you get it when you can. Well, Tyler, you're a new father as well, um, so you're kind of dealing with you know some of the same things that I'm sure Drew is with dealing with with being a dad. That first and foremost, obviously, ahead of RCST trivia here. Um, so, have you gotten in any studying? I, I know you said last week you maybe had less time to prep than last year's edition. Has that changed in between matchups? I have gotten to study. I uh, still don't think. Um... I've gotten as much as I'd like, but I, I hope I've studied enough. I think I have, but we'll see. Well, Drew, this is a stat that's on your side. Um, the first one seed that went in the second round went down. So the trend, its I don't even know if it's a trend, it's one matchup, is that the one seed loses in the second round. So that would be positive for you, for Tyler, maybe serving as a, a little bit of extra motivation. So uh, as we get into this matchup, Drew, you are the lower seed. You have the option. Would you rather go first or go second? I'm going to go second like last time. All right. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. That means, Tyler, you were up first, representing the one next to your one seed, I guess. Okay, we start in the easy round of questions as we skip the really easy first to you, Tyler. This forward from Texas led Kansas in rebounds per game despite missing the first three games of the season. Jalen Wilson. Yep. Jalen Wilson led him in rebounds per game. It was not David McCormick doing that. Okay, on to you, Drew. This point guard from Columbia, Missouri, 
led Kansas in assists per game this season? Wando. Dwan Harris. Dwan Harris, the correct answer there. And uh, he'll be leading him again at point guard this next season. Okay, on to the medium round of questions. Back to you, Tyler. Featuring a signature one-handed Thomas Robinson alley-oop dunk, Kansas won 92-74 to over what third-ranked team on January 16th of 2012? Baylor. That was at that game. That was the I always say that was the only game I've ever seen where a team won by going up eight to four. It was either six to four or eight to four. I've never seen a team look as dejected as Baylor did <laughs> that early in a game after that play. That's a fun highlight too. One of the uh, better dunks that we've seen. Okay, on to you, Drew. Robinson had twenty-seven points and fourteen rebounds in that game against Baylor but was second still on the team in points to what guard who scored 28? Did you give the year? Yeah, it was uh, the 2011-2012 season. The game was January 16th of 2012. Oh, gosh. Um... 10 seconds. Throw something out there. Uh, Tajon. Yes, sir. We'll give it to you. (laughs) Typically, you got to do the full name, but when he's no Tyshawn, you know Tyshawn Taylor. Tyshawn had a play. I don't know what Bill Self called. at the KU had a decent lead at at the end of the first half, and I don't know what play Bill Self called, but they never ran it. Tyshawn just dribbled up to the top of the key and canned a three right as time was expiring. Well, he ended up with the most points. That game was a blast. Glad you got a guess off there. That's why. Just throw something out. Could be totally wrong. Did somebody guess Caleb Swan again for Purdue guy in the 90s, which was wrong, but get a guess out there because you never know. Okay, uh, back to you, Tyler, into the hard round as we really pick up the intensity here. In the second round of the 2009 NCAA tournament, Kansas defeated what 11 seed 60-43? to 43. Dayton. Yep. Cole Aldridge with a triple-double in that game. Very notable triple-double because it involved a stat that uh, hadn't been done in a long time in the, the NCAA tournament. Yeah, what, double-digit blocks? Yep, first since uh, the Shack to do a triple-double with blocks. Okay, Drew, what 14 seed did Kansas take down in the first round of that same 2009 NCAA tournament by a final score of 84-74? to Hmm. This is what I was uh, afraid of the whole time. Uh, <laughs> not studying enough, just memorizing those those schools that just... Oh, gosh. Who did they play? Ten seconds. Oh, man. I don't know. I've lost. I know I've, I've, I've jumbled up. Uh, I don't know. Mur- Murray State. Yeah, the state, right? The correct answer was North Dakota State. North Dakota State. I think they had a guy go for like almost 40 points, but they still never really in the game. Um, so in Woodside. Yes, that's right. Okay, well, of course, Tyler knows it. Um, that's phenomenal for a contestant for you. So, Tyler, I take it that you would have known the answer to that question? Yes, I was actually at both of those games, Dayton and North Dakota State, and I actually was at the Baylor game. Um, 
yeah, I just I'm lucky to have been to a lot of games. I they guess. were uh, that was that was up in like Minneapolis or something, wasn't yeah, it? Those it was in 09 games, mm-hmm. which is weird because can't I mean I guess because Kansas was a three seed, they didn't want to put them that close to home. But Kansas City had a first round, first and second round pod that year, and they hmm. sent they shipped uh, I think Missouri and Kansas up to Minneapolis that year. Maybe Missouri was Salt Lake. Interesting. Uh, well, Tyler. Good win for Drew. You fell a little short there, and you know it almost felt like you were going to be team of destiny there when you lobbed out that Tyshawn Taylor one, but couldn't capitalize after that. So uh, now looking back, hindsight's twenty twenty. You said you wish that you would have gone back and maybe studied some of those team names in the tournament. Uh, is that something that you know you're going to do in, in preparation for next year, or are you just still going to roll with it? No, no, you have to. You have to. I really relied so much on just remembering things that uh or places where i was during whatever time it was and then it just it just clicks um but you have to go back and and almost like study flashcards of the uh the schools that they played because i and i'm pretty sure that murray state was a 14 seed but i was in the wrong decade because i i think it was that 1988 championship it was yeah yeah they so I, i mean things like that they they just they they come you know pop into your head, but you know if you don't have the you know good study routine and memorization down, then um, yeah, questions like that is it's really, you almost have no shot. Well, congratulations on on winning your first game at least you you got that in the books. You got some uh, stuff in the bank with a twenty five dollar gift card to twenty third Street Brewing RCST trivia T shirt. Tyler, you are moving on. In addition to those things, you get another twenty five dollar gift card to the brewery, ten dollars to Wine Bros. Thanks to Kurt Geeser State Farm, twenty dollars to CBD of Lawrence, and a voucher for a free sandwich and a free breakfast sandwich at McDonald's. Guys, thanks for uh, joining trivia. Tyler, we'll see you next week. Appreciate it, guys. Yeah, that uh, he he was he was dead on. Uh, Kansas was a six seed, as probably most people know in in eighty eight. But Murray State, and for the life of me, I don't even know what their three uh, what three seed they upset in the first round. But Murray State was the fourteen that upset their three, and Kansas beat them. I actually think Murray State gave them a bit of trouble um, after Kansas beat Xavier in the first round. And I think Murray State gave them some trouble in that round of thirty two on their way to a national championship, but. North Dakota State, that was uh, a game that I didn't get to watch. I was at work. It mm. an uh, awful, awful job. It was a data entry job, and it was a miserable job. <laughs> See, those, um, those feel like the jobs that I would think in a data the- entry job is like prime candidate for I'm sitting at my office desk and I have the game on my computer, although maybe at that time they didn't have all the games on the computer like they do now. No, I just had to keep checking the score on my phone. Okay. I Dude, those were, those were so like cruddy of times for – um, like I remember, uh, trying to watch certain games of Arch Madness, but you just didn't get them because you just got whatever was available regionally, and you had to basically quote unquote. When I say watch, you would like go on ESPN to your, what you're talking about and like go to the GameCast. Yeah, you just you just see the play by play, and yeah. then you just have to hope that like if a game got close, the CBS <laughs> would, would switch. switch and and go over to that close game. I remember in 2002 we went to the games uh, in St. Louis where Kansas their first two the six rounds of 64 and 32 were in St. Louis. Um, well, they actually showed other games on the TVs in the concourses, and uh, they I don't think they do that any longer. And I think that's because if the a, a game in the arena is boring, they don't want you know when the TV camera comes back, they don't want it to look empty because the people are out in the concourses watching the more more exciting games. Um, but back then they did it, so you could go if if the game you were watching in the arena was boring, you go out to the concourse <laughs> and watch something more exciting on TV. 
I do think, like, eventually, like, okay, if, if they ever do a regional, which it's going to happen, I, I don't know, maybe they already have some scheduled, but, like, it will if it's not. Um, whenever it comes to Las Vegas, there's... Um, if it hasn't happened already. Right. I, I, it might already be scheduled. But, again, it's, like, it's inevitable. It's going to happen. Um, I don't know where they would do it if they do it, or, like, where the Vegas Golden Knights play or whatnot, but I know in that arena they have, like, the sports betting thing. Mm-hmm. They have, like, I think certain areas where you can basically have your own screen and, like, watch other games while you're sitting down watching the game. And, and like, uh, kind of in the luxury boxes or in every seat? No, I don't think it's in every seat. Okay. Probably in the luxury boxes. Um, but, like, eventually we will get to that point with live sports, I think. Yeah, I'm sure. Down the road, it could be, you know, because that's a big thing with, like, NFL game. Like, like the the right now, it's at the point, like, it used to be, you know, going to the game was the big, big deal. Mm-hmm. But now going to the going to the game, they're having to compete with the yeah. in-home experience. It'll at some point just be like, hey, you have a little, like, how you have at the airport. You just yeah. have your little, or on an airplane, you have that little screen right in front of you that's automatically tuned to, like, red zone or something. So you yeah. can go to a game, you feel like you're not missing the other stuff. I don't know. That wouldn't surprise me. But uh, that would be kind of a cool watching experience with the tournament. And we'll, we'll see if we can do that for uh, betting purposes for our CST. Exactly. In the, in exactly. The you can watch all the matchups at once. Uh, he's Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN. One more trivia matchup for the day coming up next between Ryan and Tucker. Final trivia matchup for today in the second round. We've got a 2-7 matchup between Ryan Schlesner and the seven-seed Tucker Stover out of the West region. This is our first second-round matchup out of the West. It'll be the first person out in, I don't know where the West headquarters is this year. San Francisco, L.A., you decide. Um, so, Ryan, you are 6-2 and two in trivia matchups. You've uh, made back-to-back sizzling 16s, obviously grade 8 last year, so you're one win away from getting back to that sizzling 16 um, for the third straight year. You uh, were challenged a bit in the first round, 4-1 and one on questions. I know the one you missed, you thought, uh-oh, am I done here? But new life, has that given you, uh, I guess, an extra oomph of, of energy headed into this round that, you know, you, you did the cliche, you survived and advanced? Yeah, I think the main thing it did was just stick to what I know and my gut on a lot of those questions. If there's a a player that was dominant that year, especially if it's not in the very hard round, don't try to think outside the box. Just, just trust your gut. So, yeah, well, Tucker, you uh, are a listener of trivia in the past, but that was your first ever matchup as a member of RCST trivia. And I mean, talk about uh, a marathon matchup took you nine questions deep to eventually shake off your opponent and advance to this round of things so uh are, are you well rested from them have you hydrated enough from that game yeah it was a defensive battle but uh got through it and you know tried to get back to the studying to get uh ready for this matchup to see how much i was able to retain so all right well uh let's go ahead and get into our matchup and tucker you were the lower seed so you have the option would you rather go first or go second uh, let's go first all right that means ryan you were up second, and Tucker, the first question for you in the easy column. Don't start in the really easy here. How many national championship victories does Bill Self have at Kansas? Two. Yep, 08 and 2022. Okay, on to you, Ryan. Name one of the teams that Bill Self beat in the national title game. Stick with it, go North Carolina. Yep, North Carolina, Memphis the other one in 2008 okay back to you tucker on march 3rd 2008 
Kansas won 109-51 against Texas Tech as the Red Raiders head coach, Pat Knight, felt like someone put a blank around his neck. Chain. Correct answer is meat necklace. The meat necklace game. (laughs) It's even got a name. It's the meat necklace game. All right, that's a little uh, KU folklore there. Can't find that one in the stat sheet. Okay, this well, one to you, Ryan. On November 18th, 2014, Kansas lost 72-40 to to number one Kentucky at the Champions Classic, causing Bill Self to wish he was drinking what? He wished his water bottle had vodka in it. That is correct. couple uh, off the stat sheets, as I said. Quick round here. So, Tucker, um, is that one after we said meat necklace? Did you know what we were referring to there, or is that one that you just had no idea? I just couldn't remember the name of it, but I, I remember the press conference, him saying that. And, yeah, like you said, that's not something that you find in Wikipedia or the media guide. So, <laughs> wasn't ready for that one. <laughs> no, we, we'll, we'll get you here. We, we have all different sorts of questions. Jersey numbers, folklore, stats, who they played in the tournament. Uh, you, you can never study for absolutely everything, so that unfortunate for you there, Ryan. Did you know the answer to the meat necklace one? Yeah, I'm uh, I'm way, way, way too deep in KU Twitter, so uh, <laughs> I know every 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 time we get up by 15, there's people tweeting, "Let's put a meat necklace game on them." Yeah. So I, that one jumped out to me for sure. But it's uh, like you said, that's you can't prepare for that. There's no way to know that one's coming. Yeah, well, uh, good matchup for you guys, Tucker. I know it ended a little shorter here in this second round than than you would have hoped for, but we hope you get you back in, in trivia next year. I know this is your first appearance. I hope there's uh, many more to come. Ryan, congrats. You're moving on to your third straight sizzling 16. It's a, it's a small list of people who have been able to do that. So, uh, you know, d- don't take that lightly. Yeah, it's uh, especially with new people joining every year, that list is just going to keep getting shorter and shorter, and you got guys getting knocked out early, so... Uh, I like to think I'm I'm I maybe not one of the top competitors, but I'm consistent, and that's uh, that's how I like to live my life too. So I'll I'll take that banner. Yeah, well, think about that, Isaac. Who you know, Isaac is a power. He's a blue blood in this event, but he has not made every sizzling sixteen. You have, so that is uh, quite the accomplishment there, guys. Appreciate you joining trivia, Ryan. We'll see you next week. See you later. All right, so kind of shorter matchups today, including that last one. That was one of those where either you know or you, know you, don't. you don't. Right. Yeah, I mean, and, and, you can't and study they, for it. Exactly. And they're both very, they were very similar questions. Um, but yeah, that, that's just such a, a famous, um, well, famous isn't the right word. Um, it, it, but it, I don't know. There's no other way to put it than either you, you know it or you don't. Mm-hmm. It's not something you can go back and study. Um you know, it, it was, I think more people would know, this may have gone in the really easy category when we were doing that in the first round. If you said this team's coach said he felt like he'd been wearing a meat necklace, which team was that? I think more people would know it was Texas Tech than remember the the actual term that he used. I think you're probably right, um, but that was the point of the pair there. It's too, yeah. you know, I guess, I don't know, folklore is not the wrong uh, the right I, I know thing, what you mean, not, yeah, just, lore it's yeah, it became, happened yeah but right? they, they they certainly became legend mm-hmm. um but yeah that's that's a tough one um 
I don't know. It was it was a good good poll, and and uh, I I wonder what would have happened had he chosen to go a second instead of first. Yeah. Would he have known, would he have known the? Because we know that uh, we know that Ryan would have known the meat necklace uh, question, but would Tucker had known the, the, vodka. the vodka? I one? should have asked him that. Um, I do like like asking those, and honestly, me asking that question, like if I'm actually thinking through the psychology of that, it's kind of messed up because it's kind of me torturing them because it's like, <laughs> oh, if you would have picked to go the other way, you would have won. Yeah, you know what I mean. That's, and that yeah. that just makes it worse that you lost the matchup. Um, but we appreciate Tucker for joining this thing. Like he said, he he had been a longtime listener to the trivia event and never joined. He finally got over the hump and joined this year. And I don't want people to ever feel like, okay, of course this is a, a kind of like high-stakes, high-pressure environment when you're doing this, but it's competition. It's supposed to be fun. And so um, I know there's other people out there who listen to this event and maybe are listening right now and have never joined this event or have lost in an early round in a year before, and they're like, ah, I feel like I got embarrassed. Don't be embarrassed, man. All these guys in this tournament, uh, like we have people losing the first round. We have people losing the second round. Who, Like Isaac, perfect example. Isaac lost in the second round. Isaac is like a KU basketball trivia genius. He yeah. just is. And so um, sometimes the questions just don't go your way. Like don't be discouraged if you lost early in a previous year, and don't be discouraged about like feeling like you'd be embarrassed if you joined this thing if you haven't before. Like join. It's fun, man. That's, the only that's time you'll be mocked and embarrassed is if you complain. Yes, yes, correct. But I mean, you, we might give you a little jab for like missing a really easy or an easy question, but like it's yeah. If, if it's you miss, good if you fun. miss a really easy question, it's like right. What other like there was a question earlier, and this person got it right. But just to use an example, what bit? What other Big Twelve team besides KU is in the state of Kansas? Mm-hmm. And if somebody said Wichita <laughs> right. State, it'd right. probably be like, Dude, really? You yeah. sure? Um, but again, like, but you know, it's a fun event. Um, Join, but I don't think. Yeah, we we usually don't give people too hard of a time. No, I, I don't think. But the meat, yeah, the meat necklace one. Um, I believe every. I want to say every KU, I, I think everybody who came on the court in that game scored, and I think every starter scored double figures, which was big because it was senior night, which means Jeremy Case started, and I think Roderick Stewart even started, um, and I think both of those guys even got to double figures that night. It was just a bananas. Um, yeah, it, it was It was a, just a stupid night. It was 109 to 51. It was just, come on. Well, uh, that is RCST trivia for the day. We're going to have a lot more tomorrow. Five matchups in the second round tomorrow. So tomorrow is like the, you know, whatever Thursday or Friday of the first round of the NCAA tournament where you just have matchups yeah, all day. Bunch, yeah. That's uh, second round matchups, but that's kind of the, the thing. That would be kind of interesting if we did it like, like if we had like, because we have our three radio stations here. Uh, those of you who aren't aware, we're on KLWN here, but uh, we're in the same grouping of stations with 105.9 KISS and, and 92.9 The Bull. And if we started doing like how the NCAA tournament, yeah. it's like we have one on TNT, one on True TV. If we did like one matchup here and you had to go to like the different stations, KISS FM. right? Oh, this one's over. Let's go over to KISS and see what's going on yeah. over there. We're like stagger them up. Yep. And then we do it like in the span of, you know, it'd be a lot shorter. But part of the point of this is there's not much going on. Yeah, we, it, helps out, us. So it helps I us. I also don't want to do that. Fill content. Mm-hmm. So um, maybe someday if we get to this. Let's see if it doubles again. It'll be one twenty-eight. If it doubles about the after that, two fifty-six. You know, no, we're never doing that. <laughs> the, this, like the process of scheduling and seating this thing is enough on its own with sixty-four. If we get to one twenty-eight or two fifty-six, that'd be fun. No, it will not. The only <laughs> thing you could convince me on is going up to sixty-eight and doing a first four. Okay, or just do like the last four people to register. Yeah, or last eight. I guess it would be. And then I guess they'd get all like sixteen seeds. 
We'd do it that way. Well, you, you'd have to do if it was. We don't have automatic qualify. Well, I mean, we do, but not yeah. like in the traditional sense. Yeah. But yeah. ponder on that. He's Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017-1320-KLWN. Depend on it. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the Best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com, and we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. Five o'clock hour here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk, and we've got a special guest joining the show. That would be Micah Brown, a former KU football player for the Jayhawks, but now also a filmmaker, and also he is the director for The Blueprint, which is the upcoming, and I say upcoming as soon as tomorrow, series. It's going to be a four-part series uh, detailing KU football inside the program with Lance Leipold and, and so forth, and I think that might just be kind of the beginning of everything going on with The Blueprint. So, uh, Mike, I guess pretty general question to get us started here, but uh, what was your favorite part about making this and the result of what you put together? Oh, man. Honestly, it was great to just be around the program again. Obviously, I'm a very engaged uh, alumni, but you know, because of the pandemic and everything, I hadn't had a chance to meet Coach Leipold in person and to really hear firsthand the plans that he has for the program. And so for me, not only as a filmmaker, um, in my general interest in, you know, the direction of Kansas football, but and as an alum, getting to meet who our new head coaches and to hear it from his mouth what he plans to do to uh, turn this thing around is really special. So are all four episodes, are they, are they already done or, or recorded and filmed, or is this something where you know maybe the first episode or two is done and then it's still kind of an ongoing process with getting more work for the, the future episodes? Yeah, no, they're all completed um, and delivered, and so they're, uh, they're now just kind of prepping everything to, to drop tomorrow, and I'm excited for everybody to get a chance to see it. It's, it's really um, a unique project in that, you know, it's really it's explaining what the plan is going to be to change it. I think for a long time we've heard from coaches, uh, yeah, we need to change the football culture. We need to change this. But they never identify what is wrong, and they never really identify actual steps to change it. And so um, I think that's a big difference in this staff. I'm looking forward to uh, seeing the program turn around. So what's the biggest challenges from your end of things as, as directing this? Like, what are the biggest challenges of, of putting together something like this? Yeah, you know, I think every project has its unique challenges. For this specifically, one of the challenges that was, um, was unique is that it's taking place during the spring. And in spring ball, not a lot happens. You know, so there's nothing that they're really building towards. Whenever you're making a show, you want to... Um, have conflict or tension and the spring unfortunately has like neither you know because you don't really decide who's the starter in the spring you don't really do that i mean you could try to force that but the reality is there's a bunch of players that come in either through portal now or in the summer you got freshmen coming in so really you're just evaluating your team to get ready for the fall so for us in knowing that um, we didn't really take an approach of like, hey, we've got to build out the stakes for this series. What Instead, we took the approach of we need to set a foundation and a base for what is going on so that it can lead into something else. And so you do get that all-access stuff you know, with this, but it's less about that journey and more about let's establish what's going on and what these guys are doing to set a foundation moving forward into the fall. 
Well, I'm sure a lot of KU fans are curious with, obviously we had the Miles to Go series on ESPN+, Plus, whatever that was, two years ago or something like that. Uh, so what what are going to be the biggest differences between this and, and that? Um, you know, I think Miles to Go was a little bit of a pet project for the athletic director and, you know, highlighted a little bit more on um, the head coach than probably the players. You know, yes, we are talking about the philosophy of a head coach, um, but we're telling it through the POV of players. And um, I think production value is um, night and day, you know, in my opinion. I think this is a little bit different um, level of production that we're trying to do here. And, um, you know, I think that the goals overall is, is not to promote a person as much as to establish that it's not just one person. It's not just Coach Miles. It's not just, um, you know, the administrators. It's everybody. And so we're really trying to push this team forward and the team buying in. And so that's more of the focus of this. I love that answer. We're talking with uh, Micah Brown, who, again, the director of the Blueprint coming out tomorrow. Um, so with all the behind-the-scenes access that you get as part of you know being in the process here, I'm sure you do get a really good idea, like you said, of, of kind of what the process is and everything the staff is doing. Is it easy to tell why this staff is so well-renowned, both whether it's nationally, you see Lance Leipold popping up on you know top 25 coaches lists, or um, I think people here in Lawrence are really excited about what the staff is doing and, and building. Is it easy to, to see why there is that much excitement around the program right now? It is easy to see if you've been around a lot of successful coaches. You know, and so for me, um, you know, I've had the opportunity through my profession and also playing for a coach like Mangino. Through my profession, I've been able to be around the Nick Sabans and, you know, the uh, uh, Mark D'Antonio's of the world that have had sustained success at different places. And so what those people all have in common is an actual plan and tangible ways that players can meet it. So it's more than just saying we're going to be disciplined. I don't know that I've ever heard a press conference ever where a coach comes in, you know what, we're going to get a great, a lot of great athletes in here that have no discipline. And uh, they all say the same thing. We're going to get in here. We're going to change academics. We're going to be a family. We're going to, they all give you the same mantras. But the difference between the good ones and the great ones are that when the rubber meets the road, they have a plan, and they have a plan of how players can meet that expectation. And then they make that plan that you can actually meet that expectation because once you define it, they're going to give you skills that instill discipline through their process. Even if it's a small thing like, hey, this is how your lockers need to look. They're going to tell you exactly what the standard is. So there's no confusion there, what you think is a clean locker and what they think is a clean locker. They're going to define that. And that translates to discipline both on and off the field. And so I think little things like that are what separate the good ones from the great ones. And it's, um, it's evident to me that when a guy wins at every level that he's been at, he's mastered that. And I think Coach Leipold has done just that. Yeah, and you mentioned being with Mark Mangino. You were on that Orange Bowl team and um, part of that big come-up for KU. So I guess how much would you kind of compare and contrast of what this program is doing just in terms of those those little things, those details in the process uh, for what went through the program 15 years ago? You know, uh, the times were totally different there. 
you know, and so I think it's kind of hard to compare. It's kind of, it's not really apples to apples, but what I will say is the marks of a great team are less about um, the genius that the coach is and more about the atmosphere that they bring for competition and, the, and, and really the environment of the players taking ownership over their program. I think that the teams that were so successful for us, it was because we had great internal leaders. We had a player-led team. And yes, Mangino helped cultivate that. And guys like Chris Dawson, who was our strength uh, strength coach at the time, he helped cultivate that. You know, so you learn how to compete. You learn how to work hard. You learn all of these things from those people. But then it ultimately comes down to the players. And if the players are playing for each other and they're not playing for themselves and where they're going to go in the draft and they're not consumed with, you know, what kind of gear they're going to get or, you know, what girl thinks they're awesome on Instagram, but instead they're there to win college football games and play for Kansas, then um, I think you have a chance. And we had a lot of guys that were that had that heart. And it turned into when when the team wins, you all win. And you have a lot of guys that have a chance then to go on and play in the NFL. But first, it's about doing your assignment. It's about, yeah, you could go for that pick, and you might get it seen more for you. But you miss that ball, they run for a touchdown. You might get the sack record at KU, but by just doing your job, you may not give up contained because you're going for a sack. And so I think it's just this different mentality that you have to have when you think about we over me. And that's what the good teams do, and I think that they're developing that here. We're talking with Micah Brown here. So episode one comes out tomorrow of The Blueprint. Uh, Can you give us a little preview at all or or macro look without giving too much away into what the show and what that first episode is going to kind of look like and and what we're going to see when that comes out? Yeah, so the first episode is really kind of starting from the beginning. So the, so you talk about Travis Goff coming in here and, and what that process is like trying to find a coach um, that you would need and why Lance Leipold is the guy that would fit that and what it's going to take to buy in, to get guys to believe. You know, So you hear um, coach speak to the team for the first time. You hear the strength coach say things like, you know, one of the first things that we realized here is that guys didn't truly believe um, that they could win. And so they have to start there. They have to start with getting people to truly buy in to the mission of that this program can be different and we can be a part of it. So um, I'm excited for people to see it, and I think they'll be able to enjoy it. The episodes are about seven to eight minutes, so it's not um, super long. Um, but I think it's something that's enough that can answer some questions to what direction this program is headed. Is there a, you know, because when I watch some of these other, you know, behind the scenes access, whether it's a, a Last Chance You or a Hard Knocks or, you know, whatever story uh, documenting or detailing a specific team, there's always a couple players that end up coming out as, as kind of like fan favorites because they're just entertaining people or they have a great story or whatever. Uh, are there any players or coaches that, that come to mind that you think are, are going to become fan favorites out of this? You know, I, we, we do focus on some of the captains of the team, the Kenny Logans, the Jalen Daniels, Jason Bean, um, those guys, you know, they're some of the marquee names that you would see. Um, but this is a little bit different. It's not really character-driven. Uh, it's not character-driven. It's short. And so it's more about the process. 
and, and bringing people up to speed to where it is. So it's not really comparable to a last chance you or a hard knocks or something like that, where you're going to get fully engulfed with the characters. Um, you do see guys like Kenny Logan engaging with the basketball team and, and, and the story of the basketball team winning is a little bit weaved in there. You guys got Devin Neal, hometown hero. You have some of that stuff weaved in that takes them off the field. Um, but a lot of it is less about the, the character's journey and more about the, the journey of the pro of the program and where it's at right now. Well, uh, I, I know beyond this coming out, I did want to at least ask you about some of the other work that you have coming out because you, you do great work. Um, so what are some things that you either have either just come out for you or are kind of on the uh, the lookout for you upcoming? Yeah, my most recent project um, just came out on Peacock. It's an eight-part series called WWE Evil, and it's uh, eight one-hour documentaries. Uh, executive produced by John Cena, and it kind of details the psychology behind some of the greatest bad guys in WWE history and how their character um, kind of plays into this duality of who the real person is and what the real person uses to influence their character, whether it be pop culture or life experiences. And it kind of gives um, a look behind the curtain of these performers being almost like method actors and why they resonate with pop culture. So um, it's my first big project with the WWE, and it's, and it's done really well. And, um, you know, I'm excited for people to check it out. They can check it out on Peacock. Well, maybe it's something you've already gotten a chance to do, but uh, I'm curious, what's your, what's your white whale project? Oh man, you know I'm 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 always thinking about those, and you know I I don't know that I've totally found it yet, but um, you know hopefully uh, we can do some more KU projects, and I have a passion for doing those, and um, would love to continue that. All right, so so how how do we go about this? How do we get the Orange Bowl documentary in the works? <laughs> man, I get asked about that. I swear, <laughs> like a couple times a month, and um, I don't know. You know, there might be a time for that. I haven't really given a ton of serious thought to it because, you know, I think at this stage, um, you know, I'm trying to look at projects that maybe are a little bit more national appeal. That one's certainly close to my heart, but, you know, until a national audience is, um, you know, caught up on that and, and a network would come knocking, I don't know that that's necessarily in the cards. You know, maybe as a part of this Learfield deal, um, somebody would pony up and, and get it done. I'd love to be a part of it if it does happen, and certainly there's some great untold stories from that era. All right, well, if you're a big donor listening to this, you uh, know where to direct some of your money. Well, Micah, thank you so much for the time. Um, before we let you go, my co-host and producer, we do something called One Last Thing with Adam. All right, Micah, one last thing. Have you ever been to Helsinki, and do you know why I'm asking that question? I ever been to where? Helsinki, Finland. <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> but, man, no, I don't know why you're asking that question. There is a, a an American football player from Canada by the name of Micah Brown who spent some time in the Canadian Football League and uh, most recently played for the Helsinki Roosters, an American football team there. And as I was researching you, to find out what uh, question to ask, he also came up, and I wasn't sure if anybody had confused the two of you before. <laughs> it's never happened, but if he has better stats than me, which I'm sure he does, <laughs> I'll go ahead and take those. There you go. Take it. Well, Micah, appreciate the time and looking forward to uh, watching the Blueprint tomorrow. Yeah, thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on. Rock chat. All right, that was Micah Brown. Again, check out the Blueprint coming up tomorrow. 
I'm uh, I'm excited based on some of the answers he gave. I am uh, actually very excited for that, and I think Micah does really good work. That I think that if he's on a project, I feel like the integrity of it and how it's going to look and how it's going to feel and how it's going to sound and everything, I think he's going to be really good. So uh, I'm actually a lot more excited for that tomorrow. Like I was going to watch it to begin with, but anytime you see something come out where it's university driven, you do have questions about, you know, what's going to be censored here. And I'm not expecting it to be hard knocks where you have, you know, guys cussing and and saying things. Yeah. But I do think this is actually going to be a really good project. So I'm excited for tomorrow. I think a good, a good thing to look at is, is he's worked with, and I'm not a a big, like, I don't know a ton about the WWE, what I do know is is Vince McMahon, everything, top down, from from the biggest shows that they put on, like WrestleMania, to the smaller ones, he is obsessed with quality. Mm-hmm. And and so if if you are good enough to, to be part of that group that is obsessed with quality, that means you have certain personal standards. Um, and I, I would guess that, that that means Micah has those same personal standards because um, he's worked with quality people before, and, and I think that's going to show. Well, he's Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. You're listening on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Back for another edition of our KU Club interviews brought to you by Johnny's Tavern in North Lawrence. And we're talking with Kristen Knipp, who is the club captain at the KU Ultimate Frisbee team for the women's side of things. So, uh, Kristen, what uh, got you you know, involved in, in the Ultimate Frisbee Club and, and what year in school are you? Um, I'm a senior this year, so about to graduate, and I started playing sophomore year. I had played a little bit in high school, like just in PE and stuff, and it was super fun. And so then once I kind of got through my first year of college and, you know, kind of figured out how to allocate my time better, I knew I wanted to be part of a team again, and Frisbee was just kind of the way to go for me at that point. And and so I, I don't know if you're the same uh, Kristen Knipp that I think played tennis at, at Free State. Um, what was kind of your athletic background before you, you got involved? Um, I played soccer for most of my life. Probably, I mean, when I was five to about junior year of high school. And I played basketball, tennis, and lacrosse. And then those were all in high school. So then when I got to college, I was like really needing to be part of a team again and do just something more athletic, so I was really excited to join the Frisbee team and just try something new. And so are the men's and women's teams, are these in conjunction at all, or do you guys operate completely separately? We operate pretty separate. Um, Sometimes we'll do fun little tournaments together and do mixed teams with men and women, Um, but we never play together in actual tournaments or league or anything like that. So pretty separate, I'd say. And for those unaware about ultimate frisbee can you do a summary of how the game is played sure uh my family always gets it confused with frisbee golf which is totally different but so it's kind of like soccer and football a little bit because you play on a field and you kind of run some plays and you score in the an end zone so there's seven people from each team on the field at a time and someone, the team starting out on defense will pull the disc and like throw it to the other team. And then they start with on offense. And every time a team drops the disc, the possession goes to the other team. And it's just whoever is able to score first will score in that point. 
um, will score, and then all the seven players on the field will switch off with a new seven for the next point, and you play to about 14 points. Um, do you have, like, because, you know, I, I've played Ultimate Frisbee before, just kind of messing around with friends, but uh, when it's to a team level, like, do you guys have plays that you run? Do you have, like, certain schemes or ideas of what you're trying to do, or is it just more of kind of a, a free-flowing open sport? Yeah, so we do have plays, which was something that kind of surprised me when I joined, because when I played in high school, we just kind of, you know, run, ran around and just got open. But it's way more organized than I thought. We run something called a vertical stack, which is where there are five people in a vertical line in the center of the field, and then there's two people back um, that aren't in this stack, and they kind of throw the disc around, and they're called handlers. And you could kind of think of them as like the quarterbacks because they um, do a lot of the throwing and initiation of plays and things like that. So when do you guys all open up for you know tryouts, registration? Uh, what kind of goes into the uh, joining process? So we're pretty lenient with when people can join and we don't have tryouts. We are always open to getting new people who have no experience at all because it's, you know, it's not super big around here in general, so we don't expect a ton of people to have experience. So we allow people to join at any time in the season and uh, really help them to kind of get to speed. But I would say a majority of our recruiting is in the fall because our competitive season is this spring. So it's much easier for the new players to have time to get the hang of things when they have time in the fall to learn as opposed to joining in the middle of the competitive season. And how long does the season go? Like, when does the kind of calendar run for you guys? Um, I, so, a typical season would be, like, August to the end of October, and then we'd start up again in the spring in February and go until May. But with COVID, this year we've had two competitive seasons because normally the spring is the only competitive season. But... This year we had a competitive season in the fall and in the excuse me in the spring. Um, who do you guys typically play against when you're playing these competitions? And uh, are you guys traveling a lot? Is it just kind of local stuff? Uh, we do a decent amount of traveling. We mainly stay within the Midwest, so we'll go to Columbia, Iowa, um, sometimes Nebraska, and we've actually gone to Texas a few times, but. This weekend we're going to Denver, which will be pretty cool. But I'd say the furthest we go is maybe like seven, eight hours, you know. But I'd say for the most part, we stick within the surrounding states of Missouri and Iowa. Um, What was, I guess, uh, one of your favorite moments from this season or or so far in your time with the uh, Ultimate Frisbee Club? Oh, that's tough. I'd say... Last semester, we had regionals down in Texas, and the teams down there are pretty pretty good. And we had this one game that was we were we got down by I think five points, but we rallied and were able to come back and win and kind of secure a, a way better um, spot for play the next day. So it was just like a really good victory for us, and just 
like a real mental battle too, to be able to come back from being down by so much. And I think that brought us together a ton and just showed us what we were really capable of. So obviously with, you know, I, I guess from a fundraising standpoint, um, what kind of goes in that for you guys? Is there ways that people from the outside can, can support you guys, whether it is, you know, attending games or uh, through fundraising efforts? Yeah. Um, most of our fundraising goes through selling merchandise. So in the past, we've made a few jerseys and um, Frisbees that we've sold and things like that. And we, I think, did do a fundraiser to pay for transportation to Texas last semester, but that was just kind of a GoFundMe link. But we try and do at least one fundraising thing a year for the public or for the public to participate in. But a majority of the money we make comes from um, cleaning out in Fieldhouse after the basketball games. Well, she is Kristen Knipp. Kristen, I appreciate you taking some time out of your day to join us today and let us know some more insight on the Ultimate Frisbee Club at uh, KU. Thank you. Yes, thanks for having me. All right, that was Kristen Knipp. Our KU Club interviews brought to you by Johnny's Tavern in North Lawrence. Johnny's Tavern, great place to hang out, feel like you're part of the family on the neighborhood porch, get a nice beer, nice bite to eat at Johnny's Tavern in North Lawrence. This is Rock Truck Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it.